Today we are talking to Ilan Feingold, the CTO and co-founder of Plex TV, and we discuss delegating responsibilities to the team while remaining involved, how hiring a product manager is like sending your kid off to school, and cultivating an environment where opportunities can grow. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So where are you at? I am on the North Shore of Maui. Ooh, that's fancy, man. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it's I can't complain. Um, we moved here 10 years ago and haven't really looked back. Um, I... I quite like a lot of the aspects of it but it's it's kind of funny because i think people think of maui and they think of you know ritzy hotels and stuff and that's like totally on the other side of the island and where i am right now is super rural and um just a lot of people you know like raising families and hanging out and growing bananas in their backyard so it's pretty mellow nice that's i live in a town like that i live in sarasota florida and so siesta key is like the one of the top two or three beaches in the world. And so it's very touristy and ritzy down there, but you know, you go 15 minutes, you know, East and it's just like normal life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I prefer. So what, what prompted the move down there? Uh, to be honest, it was the only place that my girlfriend at the time, now wife could agree on, which sounds kind of crazy, but um, <laughs> she's from the Midwest. We met in the Midwest and she I uh, would have moved back there. I didn't want to move back to Minnesota because it's like incredibly cold and incredibly hot in the winter with giant mosquitoes the size of small birds. And um, I wanted to move to the Pacific Northwest or Vancouver, and she thought that was too rainy. So we were kind of at a bit of an impasse. I wanted to move back to the East Coast. She thought East Coast people are stuffy. I strongly disagree. <laughs> um, so then we thought, well, we like Kauai. Why don't we just try it out there? So we decided to try it for a year. And like I said, that was about 10 years ago. So what were you working on professionally at the time? So at the time, that was, um, <laughs> I came of age um, in the job world kind of right around not too long before the big tech crash of 2002, 2001, 2002. So I was working in the Midwest in a telecom startup and then did some other um, BYP type stuff. And then uh, eventually, you know, every single startup that I was at failed pretty much. And I ended up one of the one of the companies that failed. A Belgian Alcatel ended up purchasing the assets, so I got brought on as kind of like hourly contractor for transferring technology transfer. And so that gave me the flexibility to move. So I moved to first to California, and then from there um, to Maui. But in a sense, the move to Maui was uh, kind of a huge uh, career shift. At least I, that's what I thought it was, because you know I was like in LA doing other startup stuff and um the move to maui was like okay it's north shore there's like no one on there on that island there's no jobs there's nothing it's i'm you know i've got this remote job that's going to help me get there but 10 years ago remote jobs were few and far between and it was kind of like a end of career kind of a thing so <laughs> it was it was it was basically a i kind of want to get out of the rat race and sit back a little bit and take it easy and i'll you know do this remote contracting thing for as long as it goes on and then figure out what comes next you're like, I'm going to go on a, go hang out on an island, do remote contracting and just chill. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, 
it, it, there was a little bit more, a little bit less thought into it. It was kind of like, well, you know, this contracting gig will go on for a while. And then after that, presumably I'll be able to find something, but it was pretty seat of the pants. Like, and like I said, you know, picture what the environment was like 10 years ago. There's, you know, there was like no such thing as a remote company. There was, you know, very few people had remote jobs and it was definitely a, you know, kind of a career limiting option, if you will. Yeah. And then every, the whole revolution happened. DHH, David Hyman Hansen, exactly. he put out the book remote and everybody's like remote. Woohoo. Remote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so then you're jumping up and down remote, you're doing this sort of contract work, like an aqua hire almost situation. Right. And then, and then you're just like, you know what TVs need? TVs need apps. Uh, <laughs> I wish. Yeah. And the rest <laughs> is history. No, it, it was more like, I mean, honestly, as, as I'm well aware that you're, that, you know, it's like a scratch and itch kind of a thing. So, um, yeah. before I, I moved to Maui, I was running the Xbox media center with a hacked Xbox. And that was right on the cusp of that, that year. 2007 was like right on the cusp of a lot of things. Like the first iPhone came out and, but, um, it was on the cusp of like HD TV. And so the, the yeah. Xbox didn't have enough power to decode reliably, you know, just barely 720p, definitely not 1080p content. Um, so I was like, oh, well, there's this Mac mini. I just switched to the Mac again. Like it was, um, you know, Mac or even Intel a couple of years before that, I think like 2005 or something. So I was like switched over to the Mac and I was like, wow, Mac mini, man, that would make an awesome media center underneath my TV. And hmm, they seem to be porting the Xbox media center to Linux. Huh, that's kind of similar to Mac OS, right? And so it was literally like the Christmas after we moved here. Um, my wife was visiting her family. I was really bored. What does a tech guy do when he's bored? Like download something and codes. Um, so I just kind of downloaded it and was like, yeah, well, we'll see if, how hard it is to port. Nice. Yeah. You just geeking out, you know, pretty much. So then is that was like V1 Plex? Well, I mean, so right after that happened, well, like I, you know, spent a few days on it, posted some results to the forum. People were like, oh, cool. Cause I guess, you know, it's kind of like the hundred monkey thing like everyone had had a similar idea like wouldn't the mac mini make an awesome media center box and a couple of people reached out to me from the bay area and basically were like well you know we kind of were looking to do this too we think it's cool and how'd you like to you know partner up and and if this goes anywhere as a business let's be partners on this and you know at the time it was i mean it was still to this day it's like i can sort of you know, trace, I can remember the evening that I was sitting around super bored and decided to download it. And I think like one of my takeaways 10 years later is, and I know this is like such a trite expression or whatever, but you know, like the smallest decisions can have the biggest impacts because it's, it's, you know, and, and the whole sort of um, scratching the itch sort of thing. Those are a few kind of takeaways like scratch itches and and just, you know, realize that there's a lot of interesting opportunities and be open to them because this was a little bit weird, right? Like two guys from the Bay Area, like, I don't know you. I never met you. And, you know, it, it ended up working out great. Yeah. Well, if you want great things to happen, it's a prerequisite to be open to opportunity. Absolutely. And you can always, you can always trace it back to like, I, as you're, as you're speaking, I'm sitting here thinking of like those one moments, like that call that I usually would reject, but I decided eh, I'll answer it today, like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then that changes the, the whole life in hindsight. Right. So it's all, that's, I always find that absolutely fascinating. 
it's very rarely like a long plan thing, right? It's much more often just a oh. chance encounter or a chance like, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's beautiful because it's really like you can't in the act of making the decision, it's meaningless or it's very small. But then in hindsight, it's like everything hinged on that one item. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I guess there's the there's the case to stay positive though, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's like, I guess it's, it's hard because like, it's hard to get an actual takeaway from that because like, because it is at least these things that we're talking about are so random and such sort of chance things. It, you can't really try for them, right? You're not like, oh, I'm going to try a lot of chance things and talk to a lot of random people. Like you can't necessarily create them. But like you're saying, you can stay open to the opportunities and, you know, like do do good work and, and be a good person. But there's not, you can't really make these things happen. Right. You can, I found that I can, I can't go intentionally make the things happen. I don't have much control over that. But what I do have control over is cultivating an environment where opportunities can grow, right? Yep. Like I can't make it grow, but I can create an environment where they can grow. And then it's just more like ensuring my environment's created and then paying attention for and being open to the opportunities, looking for what's growing, you know? Yeah, no, that's a great, I'm sure there's a garden metaphor in there somewhere. Like I'm sure there is. Fertilize yeah. your soil <laughs> and water your ground and something will grow. Probably terrible because like out here it'd be a bunch of weeds. Oh no. What do you guys have for yards? You guys have grass or is it just like all beach sand? <laughs> yeah, I wish. No. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it, it's grass. Like, I mean, it's, it's grass and then there's areas that I've given over to, to fruit trees and stuff like that. Oh, what type of fruit you got on your property? I am sort of most recently obsessed with uh, making cocktails. And so I kind of, you've heard of the farm to table program and we run a farm to bar thing out here where we joke about it. So basically everything we plant is like, okay, got to have a couple of orange trees for all the old fashioned, have a couple of Tahitian lime trees for the margaritas, got to have a couple of lemon trees for the whiskey sours. So like a lot of our, so we have a lot of citrus basically like grapefruit, pomelo, blood orange, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, we have a lot of citrus in our area too. Like we're the headquarters of Tropicana, the orange juice company. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. They're like, you know, what's interesting is like driving on the interstate, you can actually, you smell this very odd smell It's and it's burned oranges because what they do is they incinerate the orange peels. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. So like a certain time of day, certain days of the week, when you're on the interstate, you can, you can smell it and it's burnt oranges. I mean, that almost smells nice, like a new Calvin Klein perfume or something, but maybe yeah. it doesn't smell that good or maybe it does, like that's burnt citrus. It's like, you can tell it used to be something that smelled good until <laughs> 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 it had like, it had genuine origins, but it has since like taken the wrong path in life. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you make, how did you make money off of, off of like, how did you progress this from Hey, what's up, Bay Area friends? We've got this sweet prototype. We're all vibing on the same idea. Now let's put it out into the world and make money. Like, how did that go? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great question. I, I mean, for the first few years, I wish I had a more exact time frame. It was definitely still a nights and weekends thing. So I, I you know, kept my contracting gig and then, you know, kind of on the side worked on this. And I think one of the one of the big lessons we we learned early was kind of the power of the community because we had you know we like found um, 
people that really wanted to help out and be involved. And uh, we'd set up like some forum software early and we were early users of um, the 37 signals chat, the pre Slack campfire. Nice. Um, yeah. So we had, you know, campfire going. And so, so, you know, early on we, we were just building this in our spare time and collecting a, you know, kind of like, I think the right metaphor is kind of concentric circles, you know, like there were, there were people that were super close to the product uh, or the project. And then there were sort of like the outer ring of people that we eventually um, officially became called Plex Ninjas, where they're, they're kind of, <laughs> um, you know, they're volunteers, they're super passionate about Plex and we bring them in and they're kind of under friend DAs. So they get access to all our internal stuff and they test stuff for us and give feedback. So there's kind of like that ring of really trusted, good users um, and then, of course, there's like the vocal community and like Reddit and forums and then our silent user base beyond that. But um, so, so early on, you know, we were just kind of um, we made a big change in the architecture of the system to be from being kind of a monolithic app to being a client server app. So out of that sprung the phoenix of the Plex Media Server, which was kind of our well, not kind of, which was our first piece of you know, sort of bonafide intellectual property because the client and XBMC and um, the first versions of Plex were all, you know, totally open source. So the media server was our first um, kind of IP. And then we, you know, grew that. And uh, eventually we took an angel round, a small angel round at one point. And then after that, we essentially, when that was dwindling, we um, went for a, a freemium model where we essentially have like this Plex Pass, which is a premium version of Plex, basically. So you can subscribe or get a lifetime Plex Pass, and that gives you access to premium features. Like, for example, you can sync content to your phone um, from the media server. And so at that point, basically, and like right after we launched the, the Plex Pass, uh, we were lucky enough because we were running super scrappy to be profitable. And since then we've, you know, essentially always run our business like that, not ahead of our headlights and, you know, staying as a fundamentally just a solid, a solid business. Um, and we've been super fortunate that uh, there's enough, you know, premium users who are willing to pay for the premium features that that's been good. You mean to tell me it's not fun to sell large chunks of your money for cash? <laughs> Or large chunks of your company away to other people that have control. That's not like a fun thing to do. That's, you know, from what I understand, that's not fun. Yeah, we haven't, <laughs> we haven't done it, but yeah, no. Yeah, giving up control is always a good thing though, right? Like that's what we want. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, that might segue into into talking about, you know, CTO roles and stuff. Because I think there's a lot of um, levels at which you can you can give up control and learn to let go a little bit, but yeah, definitely like selling, selling a big chunk of your company away to, a, to, a, to a VCs and, and letting them get control is definitely a path we didn't want to take. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I really gravitated towards, you know, you, your story, your company is because I really liked how you, you grow from your cash flow and you do the right things and you say the right things and your team looks really strong too. I was looking through all the different team members I was reaching out to you. I was like, oh, you, they've got some really bright people doing some really right things. Now it's just a matter of time before they own the world. <laughs> so what type of what type of CTO you said let go, right? As CTO. 
are there some times in, well, not are there, we know there are, maybe, maybe you want to talk about some times as the company grew that you had to um, create processes, learn things, and then let them go to other people so that you could continue to be the CTO. Yeah, sure. And, and to go to go back to one of your earlier points, I really appreciate you saying nice words about our, our team, because I think that that's something that we also focused on incredibly early. And we kind of had to by necessity of the fact that, you know, we weren't rolling in the cash and we couldn't, it wasn't like we got $100 million and we're supposed to grow the company to a thousand people tomorrow. Like we hired very slowly, you know, to sort of make sure that we were hiring the right people and, you know, match our growth. And so we were, you know, very, very careful about the people that we brought on. And, and early on, we um, instituted a thing. And this was essentially, we did it for reasons, but it ended up being beneficial to, it ended up being a, a super win-win, which is we we have sort of a temp, um, temporary trial period um, for people. That I know, now, I know you know, um, I don't have to tell you, like the interview process is kind of a gnarly one. Um, I think it's, yeah. it's kind of evolved over the decades. Like there was back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was the like, what would you say your biggest weakness is, right? Like that was the, your typical job right. interview. Well, I'm too much of a perfectionist. Like I keep trying of to course, do it. Yeah. And then um, I think Microsoft kind of changed that, right? And so Microsoft, I think, I'm probably wrong, but I think was one of the first, at least, to kind of do the, oh, well, you, you want to code? Like, here's a whiteboard, go reverse the link list or go do a binary search or, you know, go write some code, basically. And, you know, or like brain riddles, um, you know, they, they pioneered sort of that kind of interview. And in my first run kind of up until Plex, that was the kind of interview that I was used to delivering when hiring people. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work that great, that well. No, it um, it doesn't. Yeah, it I, really I, um, like, Yeah, I found that when you're hiring someone, um, it's really good to center the questions in the interview around the functions that they would be executing and their capability to do so, <laughs> their capability to perform the job, as well as you know who they are as like how they make decisions as people, and and. Yeah, I I always thought it was strange when I would see the movies and they would ask those strange questions about what what are your biggest weaknesses, you know? <laughs> or, or you know, the great one is like I've heard some crazy ones over the years. You know, like estimate how many gumballs are in this thing, you know, because they essentially mm-hmm. want to see how you work through problems and stuff. But I mean, to your point, like yeah, you you want to see how people are going to execute the responsibilities that you're going to give to them. And in my opinion, there's no better way to do that than to actually watch them execute some some things and for us it was like it ended up being great too because i mean there were some people that were like passionate about plex wanted to work 10 hours a week for plex and but didn't you know didn't necessarily want to make the leap from a full-time job we're slightly nervous about this whole remote company concept all that kind of stuff so you know we'd tell people like well we kind of like to start off 10 10 hours a week 15 hours a week and they'd be like oh wow awesome great um, okay, so when's the interview? And I'm like, well, this was the interview. So when do you want to start? And and generally, what we looked for and what we ended up kind of codifying later in our, you know, sort of like book of Plex is that the people we were looking for were first and foremost kind and thoughtful people and humble people. And so you know, you notice I didn't say smart geniuses anywhere there. Um, those you know, being being humble. And being kind were 
especially in a remote environment, especially when, you know, people aren't communicating face to face, like those were the prime things that we looked for. And yes, of course, you had to be smart and be able to, you know, execute your job well. But first and foremost, we were looking for just, you know, good, good people, with a capital G. Well, it makes your job easier as managing your internal team, the mass of, of your team, because if you have a bunch of cool people, right, I'll just abbreviate it to that, right? Like cool, humble, chill people that can execute your time is spent less on dealing with the one diva that's offending everyone else and everyone complaining. That's like a whole, that does a whole chunk of your schedule where you're not doing the things that you want to be doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how much, how much are you remote? How much of your entire company is remote? We are, I mean, almost a hundred percent. We have an office in Los Gatos, California. Um, and there's probably, I mean, I want to say 10 people that work out of there, you know, roughly more or less. Um, we got a couple of the execs like live right near there. So they go in at least a few times a week. And then we have a big hardware test lab upstairs. So like a lot of the sort of testers and stuff like that um, work there. But otherwise, you know, I think we're 80. I always lose track of the exact number. But, you know, so of that, of that, of those 80 people, we have a few execs, some testers, some QA in the actual physical headquarters. Um, and as you know, like the key to having a remote company, or one of the keys to having a remote company is basically doing things, you know, kind of all or nothing. You can't be in a situation where, you know, people are like, well, when did you decide that? Well, we chatted around the water cooler. Like, okay, well, I wasn't there and it wasn't in Slack. So, I mean, you'll go into headquarters and you'll see people like talking to each other on Slack just because it's better to, you know, have a record and, and have more visibility and let, let everyone else see. But we're, I think, in 20 countries or something crazy like that. So we're, we're definitely geographically spread wide. We're not just like remote in the U.S. Yeah, that's, that's one of the benefits of the team communication is when you can have that conversation and everyone else can see it. You cut down on the conversation around conversation that was had. Right, right. The meta conversation. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, I like that. We'll call that. Yeah. So at, in your role at Plex, right? What, when I ask you this question, you don't have to find the, the most difficult one. You can just whatever one pops into your head, right? So what is the most difficult decision that you've had to make in, in your CTO role? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I'm going to, um, I mean, I, I think essentially this goes back to one of your earlier questions around letting go and stuff like that, because I think, um, and I know you've, you've done this too, where you've you know, grown a company kind of from zero up. And I think mm -hmm. that um, one of the sort of one of the, one of the challenges in my opinion, that that faces people in the CTO role are that the company gets to be big enough and the engineering team gets to be large enough that you essentially have to decide what you really want to do with your life and, and how you want to do the role. Because I think there's various flavors of CTO and I'm by no means like experience. It's not like I've been CTO at a thousand different companies. This is just my experience at Plex. But that, that's that there, there are definitely two facets to running engineering, right? There's the technical side and there's kind of the people management organization trains on time kind of side. And I think that when the company's small, if you've just got 10 engineers, it's like perfectly possible for one person to do both, assuming they have, you know, decent, decent skill sets or decent skill set to do that. But once the company grows to a certain point, I think 
that it's very challenging for a single individual to handle both the technical architectural strategy type questions and handle the person management, team growth, organization, scheduling, all that kind of stuff. That's the, that's the one typically I find the most often that's the hardest to do is like when you get that product manager and you kind of, you know, it's like sending your kid off to school or something. <laughs> well, and I mean, in this case, right? it was, it was hiring a VP of engineering to handle the other half basically. Yeah. Cause what you're doing, whatever the role is called at whatever stage, essentially what you're doing is you're taking that product chunk or that engineering chunk of responsibility that you've had since day one and you're, and you're letting someone else take care of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think um, in the medium stories that I've read, it's kind of a, it seems to be a fairly common sort of point for companies, for CTOs at companies that are, that are growing from small to larger. Um, and there seem to be, you know, those three choices, essentially. One is, no, 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 I'll keep doing everything because I like doing everything and I'm good at both. And that's how I like doing my time. The second is, I, I consider myself primarily a technical person. I'm good at building stuff. I'm good at architecture. I'm good at uh, technology. Or you say, you know what, like the technology doesn't interest me so much. I'm going to do the, I'm going to grow this team. I'm going to, you know, manage the people and their careers and their growth and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's the point where you go, well, I actually want to keep being CTO. I want to bring in a VP of engineering, or I want to be the VP of engineering and bring in someone else to be the CTO. Or at least that's kind of how I've come to understand it. Yeah. So I, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, the thing is you get to, you can shift your responsibilities and still have your life contain the information. So you can get that VP of engineering and still geek out with that VP of engineering about what's happening, you know, from time to time, like as needed, as you feel the need to bring that up while having your primary focus be on these other, you know, more CTO responsibilities. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think in a, in a, you know, I mean, obviously I think, the VP of engineering and the CTO both need to have experience building stuff because they just have to have a good, you know, good technical understanding. But I think, and I mean, it, you were asking me about the most challenging decision. And I think that was, that was probably at least one of the top few just because of the potential for, you know, how it could all go wrong. Like, let's say we brought in a VP of engineering who, you know, had super strong technical and architectural opinions. And then, you know, you kind of butt heads with them about that. Um, that was, you know, a possibility or I maintain a lot of strong opinions about the teams and stuff like that. And, but heads with them about that. So in my opinion, for, for another super lame metaphor, like the CTO and the VP of engineering should fit together, like, you know, kind of puzzle pieces, right? Like complementing each other, caring about things that the other people might not care that much about being really good at things that the other people are maybe less interested in, in my opinion. For sure. So you're technically a co-founder, correct? Correct. And then how many other co-founders do you have? Um, so there's, there's one active uh, co-founder, one of the, like of the original three that one, um, Scott is uh, the, uh, he runs product and he's still active. And Casey, one of the original three, he's no longer active inside the company. So when you, uh, have these relationships with the co-founder. So we talk about everything here because this is like a CTO safe space. Sure. <laughs> so the relationships, what have you, what's your experience? I just kind of want you to talk for a minute about, you know, you, you were 
writing this code and you were doing this this contract work and then random people called you up and were like, hey, let's do this. And then it turned into what ended up being, you know, like a decade of your life in this awesome large company, Plex, right? But what are some of the key highlight, like if it's a highlight reel, right? Of the relationship aspect um, sure. as you guys grew, as you, Scott and Casey grew. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like it's, it's, I mean, Scott and I will be friends forever and we, we've worked really closely together and absolutely, you know, trust is such an important aspect, especially early on in a company um, with all the, you know, dicing up equity and taking investments and doing all the stuff. There's just so many opportunities for people to get screwed. Um, and, you know, so having someone trustworthy is incredibly important. Um, where I find the relationship is even more special than usual is um, he's, so he's a, he's a product guy. I'm the technical guy, but you know, I care a lot about product too and user experience and stuff like that. And he has a ton of technical ideas and we joke because there have been so many times in the past where, you know, he's called me up late at night and he's been like, Oh, I have this crazy idea. Okay. So like, what if we did X, Y, and Z and we built it like this. And I'm like, do you go to sleep? That is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Like I'll call you in the morning. And then I wake up in the morning, I think about it and I'm like, that actually might work. So it, it, he just has this like crazy out of the box thinking that is like such a great compliment. Part of table. What's that? <laughs> like he's been to, uh, doing too much farm to bar. <laughs> yeah, you might think. No, but it, it, it's just, it's been awesome. Um, and then that's been, it's actually one of the things that um, in the last year, we've been super busy and we haven't had a chance to, to, um, to chat that much. We used to chat every day. Like my wife would say, Oh, you chat with him more than you chat with me. And I was like, that's probably true. But <laughs> yeah, just, just that, just that back and forth, like having the, the sort of, uh, and, and also having a shared experience of come coming through hard lean times. Like we had to figure out how to do a lot with a little. And so we were constantly trying to optimize and like you know figure out how we can you know commonalities and economies of scale and and refactoring and just you know figuring out how to basically get the, get the most out of not a large team and so i think that's that sort of um philosophy and and coming from those really hard times uh you know the sort of garage days really helped us have the right perspective as we continue to grow. It's so interesting. I love how it's true that the company takes on the personality of the owners, right? Cause it's so true. Definitely. And I think uh, the team also does. And, and which, which is why I think like hiring, hiring early for those kind, humble, great people ends up, you know, cascading down and, and ends up being the, the feel of the entire company and the culture of the entire company. So I think that's that's super important. You guys are smart. You're doing it right. What's the next step? What's the next step for for your company? What are you, you doing? Like, what's big? What's exciting? Or something like that. Wasn't that your? Well, of course. I know, but I want execution. <laughs> like, I want to know what you're doing to dominate the world. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's 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 uh, we're doing a lot of a lot of different things. We're working, as you might expect, you know, to try to make the software more more accessible to. To people, our, our software has long sort of been targeted at the people who collect media and like to curate it. You know, if you have a music collection at home or a bunch of photos at home, you want to organize stuff like that. 
but we're sort of moving beyond that. We added a, a news feature so that you can get uh, news feeds in your um, inside Plex, and we're going to be adding podcasts also. Yay! So yeah, we just we just want Plex to be the place you go to to consume media. So whether it's your own media or whether it's you want to catch up on a quick news briefing or whether you want to follow a podcast, um, we have like a really great ecosystem. Our clients are available across just about you know every single screen. I I think we have you know I mean clearly Netflix is everywhere, but we're almost everywhere. So yeah, we're just hoping to to keep growing our our user base and making our, our product even more awesome for the people who both curate media and the people who are coming to our platform and maybe don't have a lot of their own media, but, you know, want a, a great place to go find online content. Now, do you let people publish onto your platform? So the first uh, instance of that will essentially be, I mean, well, with news, we, we have agreements with, with people who, you know, we assimilate their, their news content, but with podcasts, that'll, essentially be the first instance of that, essentially. I mean, even if it's a little bit indirect, um, but that'll, that'll be a way. And, and what we're doing is, you know, since our, our platform is so rich visually, um, we're essentially trying to allow people who have podcasts, such as yourself, to sort of provide extra content and extra media and make it look, you know, even better um, inside Plex. So yeah, we d- we definitely want to want to make it the the best place to go for for podcasts. So we'd ha- we'd be able to like put our podcast feed in and then customize like the banner image and maybe add the video. Exactly. Like, like I mean, if you if you look at Plex right now, you know, for like a movie or TV show, we have like theme music. You know, we have like banners and back background art and beautiful posters and extras behind the scenes. You know, kind of all things like that. So you can imagine, you know, a very rich, um, you know, structured kind of um, podcast experience. And we're also, we have, you know, like 10 years of working with episodic content like TV shows. So we have all sorts of cool features around, we have this on deck thing. So if you subscribe to, you know, if you're watching TV shows, in this case, you can, we'll tell you when the next episode comes out, or, you know, if a new season comes out, we'll say, oh, the new you know, first episode is up for this new season. So it's, it's just like, it'll, it'll be a great experience for podcasts too. Cause again, you know, many podcasts are episodic. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm a big podcast podcast listener. So have you done anything with, um, like I was just trying, I'm just brainstorming, right? Sure. So as the voice to text becomes more advanced, right? Cause it will eventually be work great. Right. Um, conversion mm-hmm. and as you as more tools come up that can sift through and detect themes and video and tag video and things like that mm-hmm. you could actually create more personalized ways of delivering content that you may be interested in absolutely and we've definitely you know looked into and we'll continue to look into those kind of things i think there's there's great opportunities and you see you see little companies spring up that try to you know, address little little aspects of that. Like there was one um, audio search, I think it was called, that did mostly what you're describing. They they downloaded the podcasts and not downloaded them, but they you know processed them, text to speech, indexed. You know, so it made it really easy to to search for certain things inside conversations and podcasts and stuff like that. There's definitely a lot of sort of cross media potential too. So you know, for example, like if you're 
if you're a fan of the OJ of the like making a murderer, like you probably like the serial podcast too. Right. So there's a lot of Ooh. opportunities for, you know, that sort of like collaborative filtering across media types and stuff like that. You would be the only platform in a position that could really do that. Right. Like, I mean, other than iTunes, but they don't, I don't think they really do that. Yeah. I mean, the, you'll, I mean, Google's kind of like getting into podcasts. A lot of, a lot of companies are getting into podcasts, but we definitely have that ability to, to sort of cross sect it with your own collection of media and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it'll be cool. Do you have an Alexa app yet where I can just be like, Alexa, tell Plex TV to record friends. That's actually a really cool idea. We have an Alexa app and it's probably going to be like, what are you talking to me? And it, it's, Oh, you, do, you have one. We have an Alexa app. Yeah. We it's used for both remote controls. You can be like, play the walking dead on my living room TV. Um, and we oh, that's awesome. have it for for music playback. So if you have a music library inside Plex, you can play it, you know, right on the Alexa device. Um, but we do have DVR, so that's a that's a cool that's a cool idea. Yeah, I'm so pumped that you guys have the the you guys are on it. You're on top of it. You win. That's the domination plays right there, man. We're trying. <laughs> we're trying. There's, we're definitely doing a lot, and we don't have an enormous team, so you know it's definitely challenging to focus on the right things. Before you know it, Bezos is going to call you up. <laughs> like, I, we're going to buy you. I, you yeah. might just land a rocket in my backyard. I think that's how he travels these days, right? Right. Or he's just going to send like a drone holding an Alexa video screen. Or that. <laughs> or that. I refuse to FaceTime. <laughs> this is how I roll. <laughs> I send drones with my face. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, how would they do that? Uh, Plex, Plex.tv is the, is the place, to, place to go. Plex.tv. Was, was .tv around when uh, you first started? <laughs> I know, I don't believe it was. We used to be plexapp.com because that was kind of like the cool thing for approximately two weeks to add an, yes. dot, you know, an app to your domain name. Um, but yes, yeah, so we used to be plexapp.com and now we're plex.tv and it's the country of Tuvalu or something, right? I think they're sitting pretty with their expensive domain name registrations. Right. I, I've got the Indian Ocean on mine. So <laughs> .io. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's fun. Wow, I didn't realize the ocean actually had a PLD. Yes, yeah, the it's the Indian Ocean or something like that. That's it's awesome. pretty cool. A floating yeah. floating registrar, for, presumably the floating register. It's like a cruise, a cruise yeah. ship, Indian cruise ship. <laughs> Man, I, I had so much fun. It's been a pleasure, Joel. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that was so much fun when we were going back and forth, like the paperclip and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I knew you'd be a fun guy. Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this, get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.